For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I am super excited about today's show. On today's show, I'm going to be joined by Nicholas Kuzmich, and we're going to explore Facebook ads strategy. And let me tell you, you're going to love this episode. You're going to love it so much, you actually might even listen to it twice. Uh, If you want to email me, you can email me at podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. Let's transition over to this week's awesome new discovery. Helping you stay alive in a social jungle, here's this week's survival tip. This week, I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery, and I want to make it clear that this is an Apple-only discovery, so if you are not uh, a Mac user, then you're going to want to skip over this to the actual interview. Eric, tell me what you discovered. I found an easy and powerful way to do Facebook Live from the desktop using something new called Ecamm Live. So... um, Talk to me about what it does, and uh, let's just start there. What makes it easy? Yeah, so what makes it easy is literally you install it as a Mac app. It's a desktop application. You connect your Facebook account to it, and then you can go live from your desktop with one click of a button to your profile and to business pages. It doesn't support groups yet, but it's supposedly going to. Okay, so one of the first questions that comes to my mind is, can't you already do that from Chrome in the desktop? Why would you need this app? Exactly, and the reason you want this app is because then you have all these extra add-ons, the most notable of which is screen sharing, because you want to sometimes be able to show off what you're doing in a browser or on your desktop while going live, and this is one of the easiest ways, if not the easiest way, to do that. Got it. So this has got. So this is the killer feature of this is the mm-hmm. fact that it does offer screen sharing, but I've seen it. It's more than just screen sharing. It sounds like it's screen sharing and picture in picture, right? Because I think I yes. talk about that too. Totally. Yeah. So not only can I just switch over to being screen share of whatever desktop I'm on, I can do picture in picture where you can still see my face up in the upper left hand or even move it around. You can put, you know, I can put myself anywhere on the screen if I want to. So you, when you say yourself, you mean, you mean a vi- the video of you? In my addition. thumbnail. Yes. Yeah. So um, now this, I've, I've heard from a lot of people that are very excited about this and they're saying this is like an easier version of Wirecast or Open Broadcaster. Uh, OBS, whatever it's called. Is that is yes. that accurate? 
It, it's accurate. That's 100% accurate. Even one of the other coolest features is the fact that not only does it do that screen share factor, but it takes some of those wire cast features of being able to drop in lower thirds where you've got a website right there, like a URL or your name and your title or other graphics like branding that you can bring in with the drag and drop ease of use. I mean, it's literally that easy. You just click it, drag it, drop it in, and it's there. Yeah. So, <laughs> excuse me, from what I've seen, I've seen people drop like transparent PNGs in and just drag it around. And it literally is like a layer right on top of the video and it's effortless. I've, totally. even, I've even seen people drop in videos and all of a sudden the video starts taking over the whole screen and broadcasting. I mean, is that, am I accurate on this? Is it that That's easy? That's totally it. Yep. Yeah. You can, you can not only just, you can do, I mean, you can literally just sit there and be a talking head and do that, but you can also do the screen share thing and you can do the video share. So, it, I mean, it's, it's so versatile. And one other thing that's really cool, and this is on the, the UI of it, is it looks and feels just like what it looks and feels like to go live on a mobile device where you can actually see the comments pop up kind of periscope like ah, where they're that's there really can, important because normally when you use the API, you never see any of those comments, right? Yeah, exactly. Can and, you interact with those comments or can you, can you, can you like, I guess you're not really interacting when you're, when you're live, but you can, you can see them as if they were on your mobile phone is what I hear you saying. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's so much easier to see them there versus just going, uh, natively desktop, you know, uh, Facebook browser live is the way I'll, I'll describe that is the, 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 the uh, comments are off to the right, and so you've got to look over there to see those comments coming in here. They're popping right up with you, right by your face, right where it's natural and seamless and looks just that much easier and makes uh, engagement with your live audience that much better. And can you scroll up and down and look at those comments just like you can if you're on a mobile device? Right, yeah. So, And do you see the so hearts easier. and the likes and everything too? Yes, you can. That's yeah, you can a, see all the, the, the animations and everything. All right. So the company that's behind this is actually a company that some podcasters might be familiar with. Um, they make, what, what's the pod, what's the Skype recorder or something like that? Yeah, it's Ecamm Skype recorder. And I've used that for years as well as a few other of their applications. Uh, they literally just came out with this. It's Ecamm Live is what they call it. And there is a free trial. So you don't have to put down the twenty nine ninety five, which again is a huge Yeah, let's be uh, clear. That's cut. a one-time price. It's not a yes. subscription, right? So, I mean, and by, let's be also really clear. We are never paid. There's no connection between these products. We just find them. We like them. We tell you about them. So for about 30 bucks flat, you can do most of what, you could do with Wirecast, which costs $500, right? I mean, that's exactly that's like, uh, and the people that I've seen use it have been blown away at how simple it is to use. And I think the message here, I have not used it. I know you have, Eric, but the message here is it allows you to get creative and not get caught up in the tech. Is that really a good way of saying it? Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it really is like they've thrown a really cool user interface skin on going live on Facebook Live, on the desktop, and adding in those key two or three extra power features for a very low price, which, I mean, I jumped on it instantly. All right. Spell how, how they spell it and where they can find it. Okay. Where you can find this is you can find it at ecam.com, and it's E-C-A-M-M.com. And again, it was like $29. Is that correct? Twenty nine ninety five. Awesome. Eric, thank you so much for bringing that brand new discovery. I know that a lot of live video folks are like, oh my gosh, the applications are here now. 
are enormous. I mean, some people might just go out and buy a Mac just for the ability to do all the screen sharing capabilities. Just imagine what you can do with this. Pretty awesome. Thank you, Eric. You're welcome. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. And now for this week's interview with Nicholas Kuzmich. Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide. This week, I'm very excited to be joined by Nicholas Kuzmich. If you don't know who Nicholas is, he's the author of Give, the ultimate guide to Facebook advertising to generate more leads, more clients, and massive ROI. He also heads up the H2H Media Group, where he consults and manages accounts for very high-profile speakers and authors. Nicholas, welcome to the show. Michael, it is an absolute pleasure to be here and uh, spend this little bit of time with you. Awesome. Well, today, Nicholas and I are going to explore Facebook ads strategy and some really creative ways that you can create Facebook ads. So Nicholas, let's back up for a little bit and uh, get a little bit of your backstory. How did you get into Facebook ads? Tell us Uh, what's your story. (laughs) Totally by accident, actually. Uh, I wish I could say that I had this like uh, intentional process to do what I'm doing today. I think it was right place at right at the right time. And the universe was just just looking down and saying, here's an opportunity that you could jump on. Got involved in the internet marketing game for as long as I can remember. Never had any success with it whatsoever. Uh, I followed what everyone told you to do. You know, create a course, create an ebook, sell the course. How do I sell it? Well, get paid traffic. And it was right around that time where Google had just had its like second or third or fourth slap named after uh, some sort of an animal. And I freaked out because I didn't quite start using Google ads just yet, but I was told that that was the 800-pound gorilla and that's what I needed to be doing. But fortunately, right around that time, there were two platforms that were releasing their ad platforms in beta. One was Plenty of Fish, the dating site, who managed to kind of uh, amalgamate all of their user data and say, hey, if you want to advertise to them, you can. And secondly was Facebook. And so I jumped in on both, trying to learn the ropes as soon as quick as I can. And very quickly did I realize that Facebook was going in a very aggressive up and to the right direction, uh, managed to kind of figure it out kind of early. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. But again, I guess I think it was just right place, right time, got, got first mover's advantage. And, and here we are today. So what year was it when you got started with Facebook oh, ads? Yeah, great question. Or, how Jeez, many, or I, approximately how many years ago do you think it was? I would have to say it was probably, gosh, five, five or so, maybe a little more, a little less, something around there. Got it. And w- so in the beginning, what were you doing with your Facebook ads? Uh, well, it was funny. The the uh, One of the early courses that came out basically said, hey, you want a picture of a female that smiles um, and your ads are going to get huge click-through rates. And what became really, really famous was uh, a picture known as the gray shirt girl. You may have heard of that, Michael. I don't know if you remember that. But it's literally this picture of a girl in a tank top, big smile on her face, blonde. And everybody was using that because the name of the game was to get a click. This was when Facebook only had these right side ads available. Mm-hmm. It was complete incongruency. It was the wild, wild west. Um, but that I remember my first ad was, in fact, an ad of the gray shirt girl um, trying to get as many clicks as I possibly could. So somewhere along the line, you realized you were doing this for yourself in the beginning. Is that correct? Were you trying to promote some sort of online product or something like that? Uh, Exactly. Yeah. 
And how have you evolved since then? Like, what are you doing now? Yeah, so now uh, it's kind of a totally different uh, 180 circle, if you will. Uh, right now, we do run a boutique Facebook advertising agency, and we've had the good pleasure of working with some of the the well, the you know biggest names in the thought leadership space and some great e-commerce brands. Uh, that was the entirety of our business for some uh, about 18 months or so, and then due to demand, we started opening up a consulting and training arm of the business. And so right now, we're all things Facebook. Uh, half of the business being a boutique agency where we serve clients in a fully managed scenario, and the other other half is training and consulting, uh, helping people and business owners and entrepreneurs who want to kind of figure this out for themselves. Perfect. Okay. So uh, let's move on to the next set of questions here, which is uh, Facebook ads and, um, you know, and marketing today. I mean, every marketer on the planet probably knows that they need to use Facebook in some capacity because mm -hmm. they're the 800 pound gorilla. But what's your, what's your take on why or what role ads should play uh, in the bigger grand scheme of things when it comes to marketing and advertising? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think what I love about Facebook is what I call the paradox of size. Now, what I mean by that is Facebook is huge. Uh, you know, last check, I believe it was over 2 billion users. That means 2 billion people on a monthly basis are logging onto this platform and spending at least a few minutes a day on it, uh, which tells me that no matter what type of business you're in, whatever message you're trying to get out there, your prospects are most likely on this platform. Now, if that's all it was, that would be great. I remember the pinnacle of all advertising back in the day was a 30-second spot on Super Bowl to get, you know, a few tens of millions of people, maybe hundreds of millions of people to be able to see your advertising. And now you can do that with a few strokes of a button uh, utilizing the Facebook platform. But again, if that's all it was, I don't think it would be the powerful platform it is today. The other side of it is not necessarily its bigness, but its smallness. Now, what I mean by that is the inside joke we have here at our office and when we do some speaking is that Facebook probably knows us better than we know ourselves. How do I know that? Because this morning when I woke up and I logged into my, my phone and I looked at it, Facebook reminded me what I had for lunch seven years ago. I mean, I don't even remember what I had for lunch, but Facebook popped up <laughs> and said, hey, look at this memory. Do you remember this? And Facebook really has this amazing capability to to be a data aggregator. Everywhere we check in, everything we like, whoever we follow, whatever we mention, Facebook is kind of in the back matrix of it all. Uh, making note of all that and then makes that kind of information available to advertisers. So what does that mean for me? It means, well, if I wanted to target, let's say, a Beverly Hills housewife who lived on a particular street based on their zip code, who shops at Whole Foods, has an Amex card and spent some money on that in the last seven days or so, I could, which then kind of makes a very interesting platform for an advertiser, a business owner, an entrepreneur who says, well, I have a message or a product or a service that I know who I'm trying to reach with it, Facebook then comes into play and kind of shortens that gap and allows us to play with the big boys at costs that are kind of far, far less than what's, you know, traditional advertising there. So Facebook advertising, the grand scheme of marketing is a, you got a platform that in my opinion is the best direct response marketing platform on the planet right now. Uh, but B in its simplest sense is if you need eyeballs to see a message or hear a message that you're trying to convey out to the world, uh, Facebook is a great means as a distribution channel to get that message to your ideal prospects. 
Uh, you, you're a strategist, and I think this is what differentiates you from so many other uh, Facebook ads experts that are out there, which are highly tactical. Mm. You lead with strategy, and let's talk about this. So how do we put an, a Facebook ad strategy together? What are the things we ought to be thinking about? Yeah, that's such a great question, Michael, because again, I think a lot of people do focus on the tactics like how much should I bid for my ad or what objection uh, objective should I use when I'm setting up my ad, which I think are legitimate questions, but I don't think they're the real big needle movers. When we look at any Facebook strategy, we look at what I call the four M's. The four M's are the message, the market, the magnet, and the mechanism. And if it's all right, Michael, I can dive into all four of those in just a little bit and we can go from there. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So, I mean, it all starts in my opinion as uh, with the message. Uh, here's my kind of take on today's social media world. And that's, it's a noisy, noisy world out there. And so no matter how good your product is or however good your service is, if you're essentially saying the same thing that everybody else is saying, there's a high probability that you're going to be ignored. So the basic premise of this is what you say is actually a little less important than how you say it in today's, again, social media 2.0 digital world. You know, David Ogilvy, one of the fathers of advertising, said that we can enter into a marketplace in one of three ways. First, he said, is the promise. And the promise may sound a little something like this. Let's say I was a weight loss coach or I was teaching people how to lose weight. The promise is a basically how-to statement of, hey, let me show you how to lose weight in the next 10 days. Now, is that good and is that necessary? I think so. But the problem with that is, is that that would be considered, in my opinion, a red ocean. Everybody in the weight loss space is essentially saying a version of that or another. And so you're competing at a massive level, hoping that your message is going to stand out. The second way Ogilvy says you can enter into a marketplace is through your positioning. Now, to me, positioning can mean either where you are positioned in the marketplace and how you're perceived or also the angle you choose to take. So when everybody else is saying zig and you say zag, that's a positioning play that has you stand out a little bit more. And I think that's a better uh, thing to enter the marketplace when than just your promise. But the third and the pinnacle, and I've reworded this, uh, Ogilvy called it the big idea. I borrow a Jay Abraham term, and I like to say your preeminent idea. And in speaking of the message, this is what can you put out there into the marketplace that really allows you to stand out and allows the industry to grab on to a concept that truly allows you to play with an audience of one or as an uncontested space, a true blue ocean. It's what Seth Godin might call your purple cow. It's Tony Robbins' firewalk, right? So when when he does his, his – originally when he started doing his seminars, he openly admitted that his content wasn't all that different. It was borrowed from his mentors. But on the last day of that signature event, he made everybody go outside, take off their shoes and socks and put hot burning coals across the parking lot. And he said, you're going to walk through this, these coals. Now think about that. When those people went back to work on Monday morning um, and their colleagues asked them by the water cooler, hey, uh, what'd you do over the weekend? I'm sure that they didn't answer. Well, we went to some sort of a seminar. They turned around and they said, no, we walked on fire. In other words, that was his purple cow. Domino's Pizza said 30 minutes or it's free. The case in point is I think when we're thinking about our message and our product and our service, what kind of preeminent idea can we attach to it so that when we do communicate it to the marketplace, all of a sudden the marketplace turns their head and says, wow, that's something different. I need to pay a little closer attention to that. Does that make sense, Michael? 
Yes. Uh, so I just want to clarify what you said is what you say is less important than how you say it. That was the key part that I heard you say that. So the, yes. the, 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 the lesson here is the way that you, if we apply this back to Facebook ads, right? The way that you choose to convey in images and in words, what, what, what you convey in those ads is more important than, um, than, than, than anything else. Is that what, is that correct? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think at the end of the day, our economy, at least at this point, and especially on social platforms, is driven by stories and narratives. And I mean, I could very easily say, hey, come buy this thing. I think it's really cool. Or I could say it in such a way that A, is unique. Uh, B, tells a story about the concept more. And three, as a result, might create a connection, which I believe is really the core transactional value um, that exists in the world today. I think people transact based on how much they connect and resonate with an individual. And what we say in that concept would be less important than how we say it. How we say it will, in fact, create the resonance and the connections that we're looking for. And how do you recommend people go about, because I know a lot of people struggle. Not everybody has a background in copywriting, for example. A lot of people struggle figuring out how do they say their message in a way that is differentiated. Any particular books or resources that you might recommend, or does your book even cover this? Uh, Well, yeah, the book does cover it to a certain degree. Um, And I think it's something that's more, and this is not a cop out, although it might sound like one, it's something that's more caught than it is taught. I think the the more you surround yourself with unique ideas and you you start to see various people say different things and the way they say it, the more it starts kind of sinking into you. Uh, But I would think at the end of the day, uh, a simple copy formula that we tend to use in almost all of our ads uh, and I don't know who who came up with this, so I can't credit anyone. And I I know I certainly didn't. I borrowed it from somebody. But it's the feel, felt, found kind of copy uh, suggestion or template. And essentially, it says something like this: Hey, I know how you feel. I have felt the same way too until I have found whatever. And that kind of leads you introducing to whatever it is that you're offering the person. And I found even if you don't use those words exactly, but you go into it with the mindset of. Um, hey, I want to connect with someone so I know how you feel. You want to create empathy, true, authentic empathy and and, and sympathy and say, hey, I know how you feel. I felt the same way too until I found this. Um, I think you're very much on the right track. I'm known for saying that a good message is not when your ideal prospect understands you. A good message is when your ideal prospect feels understood by you. Mm-hmm. And the more you can convey messages that do that, I think the more uh, better off you're going to be in some of your writing for your ads and, and for all your content for that matter. And by the way, folks, if you don't know how your prospects and customers feel, then ask them. Um, <laughs> I, I've spoken about this at length, uh, something I call assumption testing. I think a lot of marketers assume they are dealing with people that are just like themselves and they come up with a, a short list of assumptions of problems or challenges faced by their customers, which is fine. But then I like to do what's called assumption testing, which is a very mm. simple survey where you reword these assumptions in various ways and you ask people to agree or disagree, you know, uh, on a scale of how they feel with those particular things. And then you ask a series of questions about them, like what size of a company do they work for, yada, yada, yada. And then when you realize, okay, I really want to try to reach the small business owner who is a female, for example, and who lives in North America and speaks English, 
then you can dissect that and you can look at, wow, that's the message that's unique just for those people. So anyways, just a little tangent from my former copywriting days. So um, that's awesome. message. Now let's talk about market. Yeah. So, you know, when we talk about market, I like to say uh, there was a Italian economist back in the 1800s, I believe, or early 1900s named Vilfredo Pareto. It's where we understand her get the Pareto principle, or in other words, the 80-20 rule. And this 80-20 rule is being applied across ridiculous amounts of ideas and concepts and, and industries. Um, and a lot of people apply it to understanding your market. So they say, hey, if, if 100% represents everybody out there, you want to find your 20%, and that's who you really want want to talk to. Now, I think that was good advice several years ago, but I think, again, in today's noisy marketplace, um, the 20% is not enough. So I've come up with what I have so eloquently termed as the Kuzmich principle, <laughs> but essentially it's the 96-4 rule or the 20% of the 20%. I like to encourage business owners to start thinking about if I were to convey this message that I now have, who is it essentially for? And rather than thinking about the 20%, I would encourage them to think about the 4%. Who's the 20% of the 20% that you can really, really hone in on? And that doesn't mean you have to commit to that being the only group of customers you ever talk to. But if in your ads and your communications and your content, you have the ability to speak directly to a certain segment of your marketplace, I think you'll be much, much better off. And so when it comes to uh, to the market, I want people to think uh, micro-marketing versus mass marketing. And then just to kind of jog someone's memory or to get them moving in the right direction, remember Facebook has an incredible amount of data and allows you to really micro-target your ideal people. But a very easy takeaway lesson that I think people could uh, apply when they're thinking about this is what I call the targeting trifecta. Now, it's three Fs that stand for things that you can start to think about when you're saying, who is it that I would love to see my message? Uh, and the targeting trifecta, the first F is is who does my ideal prospect or my 4% follow? Uh, I believe Facebook is made up of a, a ton of different tribes, and of course, every tribe has a tribal leader. So if I was, for example, in the personal development space, I could say, well, I could go out and try to find, you know, and build my own tribe around that. Or I could say, well, who's a tribal leader? Who's an influencer in the personal development space? And more often than not, the name Tony Robbins comes up, uh, which would be true. And Facebook gives you the ability to target the fans of Tony Robbins. And so that would be one small example of if I were asking mm. who does my ideal prospect follow, um, that could be uh, an implementation of that. Now, the next F would be uh, what do they frequent? So are there certain, let's say, publications that they are consuming and reading on a daily basis or a weekly basis? Uh, are they reading Success Magazine? Are they reading Entrepreneur Magazine? Are they reading, uh, you know, Home and Garden? You know, what someone frequents on a regular basis, tell us a whole ton about them. And if we know the 4% that we're going after and we know what they frequent, that could be another way that we could target them with our Facebook ads. And thirdly, what do they fund is the third F. Where are they actually spending money? Everybody knows that wherever you spend money is probably where your hearts and your passions and your desires and your interests lie. And uh, it tells us a lot about that individual. So if I know that someone is potentially spending money at Whole Foods, for example, it tells me a lot about them. One, they might be health conscious. Uh, two, they probably have some discretionary income and a whole bunch of other things. So I think when someone is starting to think about their 4% and they're thinking about how can I reach them, a very practical thing to do is have a sheet of paper, uh, you know, have three 
three columns, put follow, frequent, and fund on the very top and start coming up with the most exhaustive list you possibly can so that the next time you go after your Facebook ads, you'll never have to think about, well, who should I target? Because that list will definitely point you in the right direction, ensuring that only the right people begin to see your communications. What about remarketing? Does when you're remarketing to people that have already visited your sales page, do these do do you recommend we also subsegment those audiences as well, like of the people that visited our sales page and did not buy, um, and also happen to be fans of Tony Robbins dot dot dot, or is that kind of a whole different ball of wax? Well, I, I think it's it's a little bit of a, a ball, of, a different ball of wax, but it's also the same thing. Obviously, someone who has visited your website and or your sales page or any form of content for that matter, and as kind of a side note on that. I would say one of the things that everybody listening to this should do is take your retargeting pixel and place it on every web property that you own, every sales page, every add to cart page, every page of content, every blog page, every funnel page, because that is in fact going to be your warmest and your lowest hanging fruit audience. People who are at some level uh, or some way, shape and form kind of interacted with you. Now, with that, I do suggest that people get a little bit kind of cognizant of the behavior of those people. So Facebook allows you to choose how long or how big of an audience that you want to target someone. So you could say people who visited my my website in the last 180 days, which is about six months, or someone who's visited my website in the last 14 days. The only word of caution I would throw out in there is that you could become almost a digital stalker. So if someone visited your page 180 days ago and they're still seeing ads about that same offer that they've not yet bought, that's probably a little bit too much. Uh, so in general, hey, if you have a retargeting audience, definitely you can isolate those and say, I'm going to communicate a specific message to them. But I would be cautious of how long they've sat in that bucket for. Because again, if they sat too long and they haven't taken the action that you're asking them to take, they're probably not interested in that particular offer. And it might be time to kind of switch up your offers and show them something else that they might be interested instead. Awesome. Okay. um, Let's go to Magnet and then to Mechanism. Got it. So magnet, essentially, I mean, in our world, a magnet is something that you give in exchange for a name and an email address. It's a way to build your list or to build your platform, which I think is great. But I think a broader way to look at this is what can I provide to my marketplace that will provide an enormous amount of value that's going to earn me the right to even ask for some sort of an interaction with them? I believe on the interwebs, there's you know two golden rules of marketing. Rule number one, you must give before you ask. And again, I said give before you ask because some people misinterpret that to say give before you take. I think there is such a thing as asking too much. Um, there is such a thing as as uh, you know, trying to be too aggressive too fast, I think the general mindset should be what can I give to my marketplace and to my industry in the form of some form of content or another in order for me to you know, even avail myself to the right of asking. So that's rule number one. Rule number two is every step of the marketing process should be valuable in and of itself. In other words, if uh, even if someone never transacts with me on any level, I want them to walk away from my marketing experience saying, hey, I learned something new and that was beneficial for me. So that being said, a magnet to me is anything that we can throw out to the marketplace that's going to provide a little bit of value. And if that does in fact lead to an exchange of an email address to bring someone into our world and allow us to nurture that conversation further, 
all the better. Now, a great kind of little acronym or a, or a framework that I use when thinking about what can I offer to my marketplace that would function as a great quote-unquote magnet, I think if it follows the acronym SAGE, S-A-G-E, then we're on the right track. So S stands for short. I believe in today's digital world, nobody has three hours to consume your content. If you can give them something that they can consume in four to seven minutes, they're off, you know, you're on the right track and it's a great first step, a, a, a dipping the toe in the water, if you will, for them to uh, decide to potentially engage with you further. Uh, a stands for actionable or action oriented. And I believe that kind of identifies the difference between information and insight. Now, back in the day, there used to be a saying that content is king. I think there's some truth to that, but the reality is now content is abundant and is a commodity. And so information isn't necessarily something you should lead with, but insight is. And the simple difference between the two is insight is what to do with information in order to get a very specific result. So if your magnet can have insight over information, you're off on the right track on that note. Can you give uh, me SA, one quick short yeah. example of what you mean by that? Yeah. So, uh, for example, uh, uh, one of the one of the things that I give away uh, for people who are interested in my space is a ad writing template. So over the years, we spent ridiculous amounts of money trying to figure out how to write good ads. And we found that every ad typically has 10 specific elements that really make sense to it. Now, I could have gone on and taught, let's say, a whole 20-minute thing around how to do that. Or I could put it together in a very simple, easy-to-follow, step-by-step template um, that takes all of that information and then says, here's what to do with the information in order to apply it to get an actionable result. Does that kind of make sense, Mike? Yep. Yep. Awesome. Um, so SAG is goal oriented. Uh, so the idea is everybody is looking for a solution and they're looking to get a little bit closer to that goal. And I think our job as part of the marketing process is to help them get a little bit closer to that goal. So take them from point A to point B and then from B to C and C and onwards. Um, everyone is looking to make progress. And if you can help someone make progress, I think A, they'll be delightful of that experience. And B, they associate that progress with you. So naturally they come back and say, hey, well, what's next? And then the E in say, S-A-G-E. E simply stands for easy. Uh, I think in today's kind of marketing world, everything t everybody tends to overcomplicate everything. And I think people are looking for easy solutions. And so the mindset I go into it is, hey, if I were to give this to an eight-year-old, would they understand what I'm saying? And could they potentially apply it to their business or their life or whatever solution I'm trying to provide? And if the answer is yes, then I think I've nailed it on the head. So when we think about magnets, what can we provide out there? I think if you follow S-A-G-E, SAGE, uh, uh, you're on the right track of, again, having a great magnet that's going to draw the ideal prospects towards you. Awesome. Awesome. I love love the use of acronyms and all that fun stuff. So let's talk about the last one, which is mechanism. Yeah. So mechanism to me at the end of the day is just a really complicated word to say, like, what is the process now you are going to use to uh, – take a, a prospect, find them, bring them into your system, and then turn them into uh, a customer or a client. So ideally, it's this idea of taking a cold prospect, making them warm, and then making them hot, and uh, and then again, making them a customer or a client. Now, this in our world would be considered a sales funnel. Uh, proper English might call it a sales process, but you'd want to think through what can I do and what can I offer somebody uh, and over what course of time to help turn them into a client and a customer. A very interesting stat that I heard about not too long ago was that 50% of everybody who inquires about something 
end up buying that thing that they're inquiring about within 18 months. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean they'll buy it from you, but if someone was inquiring about a washer and dryer, stats show that 50% of them will buy a washer and dryer within 18 months. And they say only 15% of that 50% will buy within the first 90 days. Everybody else will buy after that. Which means, for the most part, our industry is really focused on taking someone, turning them to, into a lead, and turning that lead into a customer or client right away, which I think is great, and that segment of the industry is being served really well. But that means that we're leaving a whole ton on the table. 85% of the people are being left on the table. So it's this thought of playing the long game. It's what can I put in place that helps to nurture this people over time to get them to know, like, and trust me, to build credibility, trust, and authority amongst them. So that when they are ready on their terms, uh, then they're ready to enter into kind of a transactional relationship with me. So it's thinking through those points themselves. Awesome. So we've covered uh, the four stages of putting an ad strategy together. First, what is your message? Right. Uh, secondly, who is your market? Try to market to the 4%. Right. Third, what is the magnet or the offer? that you're going to give them and it should be short, actionable, goal-oriented and easy. And then fourth, what is your mechanism or process of moving them through your system, if you will, or uh, getting them down the path to becoming a customer, is that correct? Right, absolutely. Awesome, now um, Nicholas, you have this cool little thing called the 3C Invisible Influence <laughs> Formula. Maybe you could explain what that is and maybe share some insight with our audience on that. Yeah, so that that is specifically the mechanism side. And I call it 3C because the 3C stand for um, <clears throat> click, capture, and convert. Now, the whole idea around the click is having an ad that stands out, captures the attention of the person enough for them to click through to the page that you want them to go on to. Now, for the sake of time, I think a great takeaway here for everybody is that every ad, in order to get a click, has three key elements to it. And I use kind of the terminology look hook and took. Uh, look stands for the image or how do you capture attention? I believe that the success of any Facebook ad, uh, at least in capturing attention, boils down to the image. Do you have an image that's going to stop someone in their tracks uh, that is also congruent, I might add. I mean, I, I've seen some advertisers throw pink, you know, pink backgrounds and girls in bikinis hoping to try and get uh, uh, attention. That's not what we're talking about here. But how can you have an image that kind of stands out, stops someone in their track, captures the attention in order for them to, you know, read the rest of your copy? A very simple way to do that, for example, for the sake of this call would be, uh, let's say everyone's going through their Facebook news feed. They see image after image after image after image. How do you get yours to stand out? I think one of the ways to do it might be to make your image grayscale, right? Or black and white. If everybody's seeing colored image after colored image after colored image, and all of a sudden they see a black and white image, that's enough to have them stop for a split second, capture their attention to see what that's all about. So that's you know, look. I, I'm also thinking about like in magazines where I've seen ads that are upside down. You ever seen that? In oh, right. A, in a yeah, print yeah, magazine, yeah. it's like, what the heck's going on here, right? <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know what? Uh, speaking speaking of that, I'm probably going to try that in my next ad because you're right. It's it's in in the world. Uh, you know, I ask all the time, and you hear this all the time. Where's the best place to hide a tree? And obvious answer is in a forest. So, uh, if you want to blend in, sure, have your image look like everybody else's. But if you want to kind of stand out a little bit, you can think of some creative ways, whether going sideways or upside down, or changing the the color tone to it, or adding something catchy or or, or eye grabbing uh, to it. Is definitely a smart play. 
side, but I will throw out the caveat that you could overdo it. So easy on the big red or pink borders and easy on the big red arrows. Um, that screams, I'm a marketer, look at me. And oftentimes those types of things get ignored. Got it. Um, so, so, you, so, so you look and then it was hook. Is that right? Yeah, hook is essentially uh, creating connection. And I think we already alluded to this a little bit, so I won't spend too much time here. But it's how do we build rapport? I think when someone is on Facebook, they're not looking to buy anything. They're looking to connect with somebody or something. That's why we go on a social platform. And so if your ad amongst its copy can build a little bit of rapport using, again, the feel, felt, found formula, uh, I think that's a great first step at creating that connection and getting someone to say, hey, I'm interested and in, in, in wanting to take a little bit of a step further with that person. Nicholas, um, a lot of people know that there's a character restraint before that yes. more button. Do you recommend that we try to keep it super small or do you recommend that we actually use more copy to try to develop that? rapport, if you will, with the audience? What's your thoughts? Yeah, uh, that's such a great question. And I, I think there's two ways we can answer that. One uh, one is the very practical way. Um, I'm a form of longer form copy. And the reason for that is because I want my ads not to appear like ads. I want my ads to appear like a, a social share. And usually if someone has something on their mind and they want to talk about something, they're not setting up these kind of like clickbaity ads to say, hey, you know, this cat stepped on a toilet and did eight things you can't believe number seven. Um, you know, it's very clickbaity, but you can tell that's kind of ad or clickbait. Uh, I like kind of building rapport and building that out. So I'm a big fan of, of long form copy um, in order to do that. But again, at the same time, I do want to create good user experience. So I like to push the boundaries as far as I can without that see more button appearing. So I'm going to test it and write and write and write and see how long I can write before that see more button appears. And then as soon as it does, I'm like, oh, can I shave this off a little bit? So the, um, do they charge you to click that see more? Do you know? If so, uh, no, they, 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 they recognize it as a click, but depending on what your bidding strategy is, whether it's for clicks or for impressions, um, that can or cannot have an effect on things. Perfect. Okay, cool. So there was look and then there was hook and I think there was something else. The last one is took. In other words, what is the the, the action that you want the person to take? And I, I learned this a hard way. One of some of my earlier ads I wrote, I wrote this great ad copy, at least in my opinion, it was great. And uh, I was offering a lead magnet like we tell people to do. And I remember the first comment saying, great, yes, I want it. How do I get it? And then it just dawned on me that the person didn't realize all they had to do was click the ad and go over to the landing page and you know fill out their name and their email, for example. So now we make it a point that in all of our ads, we put a very clear call to action that someone can take, hence took. Um, so we'd say something like, click here to register uh, to get your free downloadable PDF or click here to watch your video or whatever it be. But we want to be very clear and distinct about the action that we want the viewer to take. Do you have any experience on click here versus click now or any of those kinds of variations or they all kind of seem to work equally? Yeah, for us, I think they all seem to work equally. Uh, on the ad, we do realize that the point of the ad is, in fact, to get the click, not necessarily to sell whatever it is you're trying to sell or to you know take any further step other than having someone click on it. Uh, one little hack that we do like to throw in is after we say click here to do whatever or click here to watch now or click now, we do actually like to put 
hyperlink, a hyperlink right in the ad copy. Um, I think we're just accustomed in the uh, you know online digital world that when we see a blue URL that's underlined, that that makes it seem like it's a link, which it is. And when we see it, we like to click it. So one of the things we help to increase our click-through rates is to, in fact, add a hyperlink in the copy itself. And we found that that does, in fact, by 30% or more, increase the click-through rates of our ads. Wow. Okay. So you're so that you're talking about the ad, the copy that appears above the graphic. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. So most people would not think to do that because they just assume that when you link the graphic and the stuff that's below the graphic, that's sufficient enough. But by simply including the call to action in the text above the ad, you've seen a 30% increase. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah we, and we want to give every reason for someone to click the ad. And we wouldn't know this except that we put separate tracking on the links in the copy versus the one that's actually from the image Smart. or the ad itself. Smart. Uh, and that's how we've seen a 30% lift in click-through rates that of all the ads that are clicked on, 30% or more are actually clicking on the hyperlinked URL versus the ad itself. I'm assuming since you're a copywriter that you use lots of carriage returns. I mean, are you using like, uh, are you just writing one thick paragraph of copy or are you kind of uh, spacing it out with, with uh, line returns or carriage returns? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, definitely trying to use as much white space as possible, but then also, you know, balancing that with the act of trying not that not to have that see more button appear. Got it. Uh, but again, I, when I'm thinking Facebook ads, I'm thinking user experience, and I know if I just see one big chunky huge paragraph, it's like, oh my gosh, I, I'm going to bypass that no matter how good the writing is. So yes, it is a nice fine balance between you know appeasing to the eye and something that makes a nice flow, as well as ensuring that we can get as much copy in there as possible. Wow. Well, first of all, thank you so much for sharing all your insights uh, with us. Why don't you tell everyone where they can get your brand new book, Give, The Ultimate Guide to Facebook Advertising to Generate More Leads, More Clients, and Massive ROI. Where do you want them to go? Yeah, I totally, totally appreciate that. Now, the book is, in fact, available on Amazon, but uh, a, a great way to do it is to go to givebook.com info. Again, givebook.info. Uh, that will give you an opportunity to kind of learn more about the book, learn a little bit more about me. Uh, we also are, are have some great bonuses that we're giving away. So if you buy a copy of the book and you show us that you did, we're giving a $197 training that I did, a video training uh, for free for those who buy the book. And also we, we want help in getting the message out there. So if you, uh, we created an ability to create a custom referral link and share that and the people who have the most shares that lead to purchases, We'll also get their chance to win uh, one of three bonuses valued at $10,000. Um, so all the information that anyone could ever want about the book can be found at givebook.info. And even if you're not um, someone who, um, like you hear this way after you know the book has gone out, just go check out what he's doing because this guy is a brilliant marketer. Um, Nicholas, um, why don't you tell everybody how to spell your last name and everything in case they want to reach out to you on the social networks as well. <laughs> right, because it is, I admit, not the most brandable name in the world. Uh, but fortunately, because it's not, uh, Kuzmich is my last name, and N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S, Nicholas, K-U-S-M-I-C-H. Fortunately for me, I am the only Nicholas Kuzmich on all of the Facebooks, so it's very easy to find me and connect with me there. Awesome. Nick Nicholas, thank you so much for joining and sharing your awesome insight with us on behalf of all my audience. Uh, we really appreciate it. Oh, Michael, the pleasure was all mine, and I, I had a great time. Thank you so much. 
Well, I hope you found as much value out of this interview as I did with Nicholas. Uh, We took all the notes for you, so if you didn't catch all those cool acronyms and what everything stood for, don't worry. Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 250. Wow, we've hit the 250 episode mark. If you've been with us since the very beginning, thank you so much. And if you're new, there's a lot of great content in our archives you should absolutely check out. And speaking of great content, do not miss a future episode of this podcast. Make sure you subscribe so that you automatically download all the awesome shows that we've got in the pipeline coming soon. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I promise. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.